Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. All right, podcasting time. Um... I, we, we've been kind of interacting on Instagram for a while. So this feels yeah. like really fun to be podcasting together. <laughs> um, I have admired your, just your energy and your knowledge and your presence in Instagram. And I'm sure you're in lots of other places too, but that is where I tend to, to, to interact with you, maybe a tiny bit on Facebook. Um, so today's guest is Dr. Lee Huo. And I'm going to let you introduce yourself. I'm going to let you share what feels important today for this podcast, for this audience, for your mood, whatever. (laughs) Tell us who you are, why you said yes to being on the show, and then we'll just start talking about whatever feels right. Thank you, Amanda. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I have admired your work for quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And yes, we are on Instagram together. And that's where we found each other. I think... I was attracted to your account, your post, your podcast, um, because you work with women who have had abortions. And it's one of those subjects I'm very um, passionate about. I am an OBGYN. I have practiced for 15 years um, before I left, actually, my full-time practice. And this was about seven years ago because of uh, burnout and workplace trauma. I found life coaching about two years ago. And so now um, it is something that I devote my time to is life coaching. I do some telemedicine Mm -hmm. um, and I just am very grateful for coaching because I realized through coaching that um, I burned out partly because of the demands I made on myself, Mm. my own perfectionist demands of just instead of self-care, I just kept adding to my plate thinking that it's self-care. And it just became one more thing I had to do instead of trying to truly retreat and maybe not do anything (sighs) and have silence instead. Mm. That was something I didn't know how to do, not do anything. Yeah, who has silence in medical school and all those years of like internships and there's no silence. That's not a thing. No, it's not a thing, right? And it's not a thing. Right. And it's not a thing to rest, right? It was always after this, then it's this, after this, then this, Mm -hmm. after this, it's this. Until you get to a certain point and you do reach your goals. But then at that time I married and I became a mom and then, then there are goals for kids, right? So like, okay, we got to get them into the best schools. Okay. What activities are they going to do? Blah, 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 blah. So I just kept adding and adding um, mm. expectations to myself. I have to yeah. teach, you know, I have to come home after a 24 hour shift and cook them a gourmet meal. I have to be the one who does the bedtime story because I've been gone. So there was a lot of expectations um, that I imposed on myself. Yeah, really nobody else did. And, um, and so I burned out. Yeah. And then uh, thank God I found life coaching uh, about two years ago. And that's um, what I do now. Do you want me to tell you who I help right now? Or yeah, tell us who you help. And I mean, we're going to link and stuff, but tell us. Okay, perfect. So um, I help emotionally depleted and exhausted healthcare professionals 
uh, figure out their next step so that they don't feel like they're trapped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have so many colleagues and know many people who feel that way. I'm not talking about physicians, um, just physicians. I'm talking about nurses too, mm-hmm. and PAs, MPs, et cetera, especially in light of the pandemic. Yeah. And so I tell my clients or potential clients that if you're someone who want to stop daydreaming about quitting, about mm. retirement, I can help you discover your purpose again, your joy, your purpose, so that um, you can enjoy your life here and now instead yeah. of waiting for retirement, instead of waiting for that, instead of waiting for that to happen. Yeah. yeah. So that's where I'm at. I love it. So important. Do you find that a lot of people who burnt, oh, I, I mean, I have no idea. I'm just like making a guess, shot in the dark guess here that yeah. a lot of people who um, experience that kind of burnout in medical care um, stepped into the professions, whichever they are, based on expectation versus like desire, or was there like a strong desire to be there and then it wasn't, didn't match think, the picture they had in their head? I think there's a combination of both. Combination, yeah. I think that for me, I went into it with very idealistic views, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with being idealistic. Um, but there were other factors for me that pushed me into medicine. Um, one of which I share this a lot on my account that medicine, although it took me forever to get there and anybody else too. Yeah. Um, the path was clearly marked in college. You do this, you do a research project, you take an AMCATS. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You go to medical school, medical school, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J. Like it's completely laid out. And I understand now a part of me, I have warning signs all along the way Hmm. of maybe you don't want to do this. Mm. I didn't stop to listen again. Mm. No sort of time for myself to really reflect because I was scared Mm -hmm. because if I wasn't going to follow that path, what path was I going to follow? Mm -hmm. And that was really scary for me as an immigrant, as someone who is the oldest in the family and sort of those are self-imposed too. Like if I'm not going to be an example to my brothers, if I'm not going to have a plan, my parents don't have money to back me up to let me, you know, take a year off, take a two year off, take three years off, figure it out. So part of it is, was driven because the path was so clearly laid out and that was very um, attractive to me because if I just follow this path, I'm not afraid of our work. If I do all this, then I will get to success. And I did get to success. Yeah. Whatever that means. Right. In, in my opinion, it was success. I got to the career, you know, it's, I mean, it's not bad to be a doctor. <laughs> I yeah, can be yeah. worse or things. Yeah. I did achieve financial independence. I did all those things. Um, but what coaching really showed when, you know, and I left coaching when burnout wasn't even a word, it wasn't even discussed. So during that time was a really dark time for me, for me mm-hmm. to really try to figure things out, to deal with an identity crisis, really, yeah, <laughs> to deal yeah. with like a financial crisis. Um, it was a really dark time. And I understand there are people who are going through darker times, obviously. But for me, that was four years of sort of circling. And I really didn't even know that I was circling until coaching really showed me that I did not heal yet from my experience of leaving. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pain that I was running from. And until I addressed those things, I was going to stay small. I was going to stay circling. And I was 
on the outside, I looked like I was busy and doing stuff, but I really wasn't. Yeah. And I didn't truly believe that I could forge a path to a different future. Mm-hmm. And coaching allowed me to see that. So now I am on, <laughs> I don't know which path. <laughs> I You're know on my your path. <laughs> right. But now I'm not afraid, right? I understand yeah. that there's not going to be a clearly demarcated path. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And that's part of the journey. Yeah. And that's the yeah. growth. Yeah. It's interesting about the step-by-step path, how it must be really tempting to, to like, you know, something's not right, but it must be so tempting to be like, I'll just do the next step and then I'll figure out, I'll just do the next step because it's like, as an entrepreneur, there is no next step. It's like, you, you have to know who you are and what you want and how you want to do it. And yes, but if you're following step-by-step, it must be so tempting to be like, okay, I'll just get through the next thing and then maybe it'll get better or then I'll know. Yeah. I can see why that'd be so hard to step away from um, when it's all laid out like that. And you're just watching people all around you do the same thing thing. yeah okay but I have a question because you keep saying I know it's self-imposed um how much of it so we're coaches so we take a we take self-accountability very seriously (laughs) which is an amazing thing but at the same time I know you understand the impact of systems and, you know, and patriarchy and racism and institution. So how much of it is self-imposed versus really, truly like systemic problems that no matter how self-aware you are, it's hard to find like well-being in the system yeah, of medicine. That is like, such yeah. an interesting question, Amanda. <laughs> wow, that is a loaded question. Yeah, here we go. Um, you are correct. In some of the institutions that are well-established and sort of like one of the big things right now is also pay gap, right? Yeah. Between women and men. That is established. There's studies that support that. Um, Patriarchy and misogyny is not so blatant, but it is in our everyday messaging, right? I mean, I think that part of that messaging contributed to my burnout in the sense that I have a career, but so does my husband. We both, these are both of our kids. Why do I feel like I've taken on all the domestic responsibilities, even though technically I actually work more than he did, but as a mom and as a messaging for society, I'm expected to do all of these things for my kids where yes, of course he's expected, but it's not to the same degree, right? He's the helper. Yes, exactly. So he's I babysitting. Just, yeah. So I would just, I will get back to your question, but let me just give you a really quick example. Yeah. So obviously being in medicine, I have a certain advantage in you know, who I know, what I know. So for my kids entire life, starting the day, they were two months old, all the doctor's appointments were made by me. Mm-hmm. based on my schedule and I took them yeah and, and 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 that's fine whatever I'm not complaining you know of course there's certain medical knowledge of course there's an advantage but my husband has zero and that included dentist too I'm not a dentist but and all of a sudden one day it flipped I'm like you could take them to the dentist you right? could take them to the doctors you can look at your schedule <laughs> like 
it was so automatically made. He never told me to do it. Okay. No one like, yeah. you better do this, but there is something innate in us. And I know I'm not the only one that just took it all upon myself to yeah. take care of all of it. And then one day I'm like, well, well, yes, I know about HPV vaccines, but doesn't mean he can't read about it and educate right. himself and take them to the doctors and ask questions and be assertive and be proactive. So, so that's like just a silent sort yeah. of messaging that yeah. we get. And same with meals, like both of us work. Why do I feel like I'm the one who has to meal plan to grocery shop? So many like, things, healthcare, meals, birthday parties, holidays, oh, yes. like so much birthday of gifts. It. Yeah. When they used to go yeah. to a lot, a lot of birthday parties, make yeah. sure we get a birthday gift it was me who did it, me who wrapped yeah. it. But anyways, I'm sorry, I, I digressed. Um, well, yes. no, but it's important. I mean, all that stuff is what contributes to the burnout because Absolutely. we don't realize the burden that we're carrying. Yeah. And that we don't have to carry it. Mm -hmm. And that's the part where it's self-imposed versus, yeah, we can say no, we can we say can. no. Yeah. Yeah. But something happens in our upbringing, our messaging, culture, society, systemic, that tells us like, you really shouldn't say no. Like, why are you saying no? If you say no, then you're not a good mom. Yeah. You're not a team player. You're not a good doctor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I do believe that. So systemic institutionalized problems, if you will, certainly cause some of the feelings and the overwhelms and the burnout that I experience. If we take the issue of racism, this is a huge topic. I can't even believe I'm going to bring it up, but just a, a, just a little window of it. I think for a long time for me, I felt as if racism shouldn't exist. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the pain, right? Um, You're right. The resistance. Yeah. In 2021, when the Atlanta shooting of the Asian female workers, mm -hmm. I was profoundly affected mm -hmm. because it was in my face, the racism. We get little microaggressions every day in my life, here and there in my kids' lives. And that's that. Um, but that was a, such a blatant, overt, like attack on me, I felt like, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the continued anti-Asian violence that we see as a result of the pandemic and the messaging there. Yeah. And so for a long time, I was paralyzed. I, I, I cried, I was sad, I was angry, I was frustrated. And as coaches, right, it's like, what, where am I going to take this? Yeah. If racism is a circumstance, a neutral circumstance that unfortunately does exist, and I don't think that's going anywhere. So my thought could either be, this shouldn't exist, why is this happening, blah, 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 which makes me feel very sad and paralyzed. But if I could say, racism does exist. What can I do to bridge understanding? What can mm -hmm. I do to help in this situation so that I can feel empowered to act yeah. in a way that advocates, yeah, in a way mm -hmm. that advocates for myself. So what I started doing was start posting on Instagram. I started doing research. Like for me, it's always about in this particular scenario with Asians, like a lot of the stuff we get is go back to your own country. I'm like, that's nice because America is my country. Um, and part of that, though, really is in our education system. When we were growing mm -hmm. up, we didn't learn that Asians were here in the 1800s. <laughs> no. 
right? I was not taught they were here building the railroads in the West and that after the railroads were done, they stayed and they suffered a lot of discrimination and prejudice there. I sadly did not even learn about the Japanese internment camp in my education. Mm-hmm. And I remember re, um, learning about the civil rights and being like, where were the Asians? <laughs> where were they? <laughs> where were they? Did I, and I jumped to my own conclusion that they didn't exist, that we must have not been there. But yeah. we were there. I mean, and now through research and really education and educating myself, they were there. But yeah. these are not taught. And yeah. so then when political certain people single us out, then it's very natural for groups that don't know any of us, have personal contact with us, get the messaging that, oh, they don't belong here. They look different. They, you know, go back to your own country. It's very easy to do that. But we could educate people. Um, No, there's been four to six generations of Japanese Americans in here. They served in this country. No, there are Chinese Americans that served in the army in World War II. And this is what they did. And yes, they were there for the civil rights as well. Yeah. So, well, it's making me think about reproductive justice. And I, you know, to be honest, in in the reproductive world that I see, like there is not a lot of voice around Asian culture and beliefs about abortion and beliefs about. However, you actually said to me recently, like, have you seen One Child Nation? When we think about reproductive anything in regards to Asian culture, like our minds immediately jump to like, oh, one child rule, <laughs> like, like, right? Yeah. Like, but it's so much more nuanced. Like, I actually don't know reproductive justice organizations speaking to beliefs and culture around abortion here in this country. You know what? I don't think I do either. I, I, I mean, I, you'd think I would have thought of it, but I, I don't. I don't really know. So maybe some, a listener will reach out and inform us. Yeah. That alone that. is like very telling. The, the two of us are sitting here kind of like, huh. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I don't know if there's a pervasive, and again, I'm not going to, you know, I'm only going to speak about myself. I'm not trying to represent the entire community at all. So listeners know that. <laughs> um, yeah. From my own perspective and the issue of abortion was very much in my life tainted or not tainted, influenced, heavily influenced by Christianity. Yeah. And I sure. think there's quite a few Asian immigrants when they first come to this country do convert to Christianity because it's the Christian groups that do reach out to help immigrants. That hasn't been my experience to help. Yes. And, to, and so it was very easy for us to try to fit into the community to um, to go to Christian churches. And it's not a bad thing. I'm just saying. Um, and I know I was heavily influenced in the issue of abortion growing up, definitely by the religion of Christianity in my Mm -hmm. own culture, in my own home per se, I didn't get that kind of messaging. No one said, go get an abortion by all means, but there wasn't this type of messaging that Christianity brought in. Um, and I think my mom even shared like at some point she contemplated abortion because of something she shared that with me. So I remember hearing that. And I remember um, that I just, I couldn't get a, I didn't know how I felt about it, Amanda, growing yeah. up. 
and I didn't, um, it wasn't until I became an OBGYN resident that I had a firm grasp of, of what I believe about, which is my belief now is that abortion is a choice, right? And it's not about the procedure itself. It's about the fact that women get to make a choice. And I, I think it's very frustrating for me this is not being coachy at all, but, and I get angry sometimes with a lot of the political messaging from sort of the pro birth side, which yeah. I would call not pro-life because yeah. if you're pro-life, you would care about the mother, right? The people who want to have pro-birth who are anti-abortion, you know, I see this on Facebook, social media, like, oh, you know, they just want to kill blah, blah. Like, what about the unborn fetus? And, and they make it sound like women who make decisions, abortions are so cavalier. And I always respond with, have you looked into the eyes of a woman trying to make that decision? Because I have. I have over and I have not. I'm speaking for you over and over and over. Hundreds. (gasps) No one, not a single woman's like, yippee, let me choose an abortion. Yeah, I'm here for my abortion care. I know. I mean, it's (laughs) so, it's, it just shows me the ignorance. Yeah. And that it's pure propaganda. Mm -hmm. That these people put these messages out there and when they like started around i think that i don't even know if we're supposed to bring up a lot uh politics but back in the 2016 elections <laughs> around that time there was a lot of reference to partial abortion and term abortion and i wanted to laugh i was like this doesn't even make any sense mm-hmm. like the way you guys are talking about is like doctors are murdering like full-term babies <laughs> yeah. that's called murder yeah. we would be trialed as a criminal if that happened right and what woman carries a baby to term that decides at the last minute i don't want it anymore let me tell you nobody okay. not a single person it's the most choice occasion or even if it's not you've given up for adoption nobody says that third term by the way i changed my mind now yeah you know so what i'm really curious because i have you here how much abortion care was talked about in residency so we had a rotation mm-hmm. um, in our intern year, which is our first year in residency, and our fourth year, where we do a month of abortion care. Really? Where we provided elective care. I did not realize that. Excuse me. We provided elective procedure yeah. to, to do the DNC. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it was a count, big accounting hospital. I'm not going to, I don't know if we're supposed to name names. It doesn't matter people could look it up they really wanted to but (laughs) we um we were at a county facility and we provided um elective abortions to i think honestly part of it is our training and it's absolutely important right and that's the problem when people want to eliminate abortion care is that it just puts women's lives in danger because then you get quacks and you can't regulate it right? You get people who are not trained, not proper trained, there's no repercussions for them. And that's the danger of when I see what's up, you know, Roe versus Wade, when states are putting in these new legislatures and laws, that's my fear. Because in my residency program, I have seen abortions gone wrong. Mm -hmm. Once in a great while, and it was legal, and it still can go wrong. And the repercussions are horrendous. We like they transfer them in from abortion clinics, and we take care of them. And so I can't even, and that's what people who are legally doing it, people who are trained to do it. So I can't even imagine in a world where we're no longer trained as OBGYNs or whoever and have repercussions and have um, uh, 
sort of uh, regulations is, you know, we all get board certified, there's ways to check us. And I think that's necessary. And especially, you know, abortion care is healthcare. Yeah. What, you don't have to answer anything I ask, but. Um, <laughs> okay, thanks. I mean, <laughs> now, I'm, now I'm really curious. Um, oh, and by the way, just so you know, that rotation, I'm sorry, where it was a senior year, we had a month, and intern year, we had a month. Yeah. I don't know if it's still happening. This was about 20 years ago. I don't know what kind of, so I can't, I don't want right. to. Right. You're just giving your experience. Yes. So my next question is about your experience too. Did you have colleagues who either gravitated toward abortion care or who wanted to provide abortion care, but found it just to be way too complicated and messy and kind of steered away because, because of the stigma around it and the danger. Um, as far as I know, most of us, so there was actually a fellowship at the time too. So beyond residency, yep. there's three more years of training of, so that's seven years now, guys, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of what they call it family planning. So you become an expert in providing the more higher gestational age um, abortions because those are completely different than a first trimester abortion Mm -hmm. medically speaking and technically surgically is really different. Yeah, it is different. I mean, it just requires a different set of skills. That's all. And so there are residents who choose to go into that fellowship. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing that kind of fellowship, that pretty much states that you will be an abortion care provider. Okay. Now for most of us, who find jobs outside of residency, it depends really on the institution that you work with. Um, if, unless you're in private practice and private practice, you could do whatever you want. And the truth is, I don't know too many of my colleagues who are in private practice, but the ones I do know they do provide or if they don't, there's definitely, they refer to Planned Parenthood, family planning and the institution I worked at. Um, I would not say that there was a stigma around it per se. I would not say that there's a negative that we weren't poor. Like we, we were fine in providing abortion. What happens in the, in the medical system too, it's an issue really of um, workflow. I know it sounds like heartless. Huh? Oh, do tell. <laughs> I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. So what we would try to do is to, if it's a, abortion care or what we call um, spontaneous abortions, you know, so yep. it's very interesting. The word abortion, I know, right. In the medical world, it means nothing to us, quote unquote, because yeah. a spontaneous abortion is the name of a miscarriage, right? There's something called an incomplete abortion, which means the process of a miscarriage. So the word abortion itself is all part of the medical terminology, but politics has changed it right to yeah. be oh, abortion, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. and the way we in medicine separates, we call it elective abortion versus spontaneous abortion, if that yeah. makes any sense. Yes. So it really has to do with workflow of how to manage and how to efficiently place these procedures into the operating room, into the workflow. And so honestly, part of the reason why the institution doesn't do it into they, they um, contract with something like family planning plan here is really for that for workflow. Interesting. So they're like, you know what? 
we support abortion. We will definitely refer to you. We have a contract with this clinic. They can get them in and out, if you will. Mm-hmm. They have a whole workflow system. You come in, you do this. It all has to do with workflow. Mm-hmm. And then versus this place where I worked at, you know, I'm seeing a 38-week OB patient. Then I'm going to see a routine 56-year-old postmenopausal woman. Right. And all of a sudden, okay, now I have to see an abortion. Like, oh, excuse me, someone who is contemplating abortion, you know what I'm saying? And who wants it. And then, so now how do I schedule her and who's going to do it? And, you know, so mm-hmm. it really, it sounds heartless, but it's actually not. It's, um, it's unfortunately just the way things are done to drive efficiency. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Never, this, this is fascinating. I actually invited you onto the show because I was really curious about your expertise around self-care and I know there are a lot of um not not strictly um doctors providing care but people in working in Planned Parenthood working in abortion care so I was really curious about your perspectives on self-care for for those listeners but now I'm like this is an amazing insight into (laughs) OBGYN care and and abortion um, as a part of it. And isn't it like less than 1% of abortions are provided by like a woman's or a, a person's reproductive health care? Like, like my OBGYN did provide my abortion care, but that falls into like a teeny tiny percentage of yeah. people who I, get right. care from their regular provider. I will say that it is rare. I don't know the exact percentage. I, can't I think it's on less that. than 1%, Yeah, which that's... is, so it's interesting. I've had clients who say, you know, when I went to my OB or my midwife with an unplanned and undesired pregnancy or a pregnancy I needed to terminate for any reason, and they sent me somewhere else that added to my stigma, like, I, oh, this, I can't help you you need to go somewhere else for this kind of care. I could, yeah. Yeah. Like you're saying, well, it it is actually really kind of in some ways a logistical thing. (laughs) It is. But it does add to the stigma, which is really hard for a patient. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, So yes, for workflow, that's definitely one thing. And I can also think that in that instance, I just discussed about, oh, my provider sent me somewhere. Some of that stigma is not just with the provider, it's an entire line of people that you work with. So I'm not saying the doctor, oh, you should just stand up for your patient. And you didn't, that, that's not what, even what I mean. But there's a judgment call all over the place yeah. so from the anesthesiologist, from the CRNA, from the people who pre-op you, from the yes. nurse, from the check-in, from the, 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 the list uh. goes on in the contacts and the touches that you have. Mm-hmm. And it feels like stigma, but it's on some level, if you could choose to look at it that way, is that we're sparing you from all of that judgment. Mm. Jeez, it shouldn't be that way. Fascinating perspective. Right. It shouldn't be that way. I understand. Yeah. But we are dealing with a circumstance that I can't change because I'm having one abortion. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I can't change an entire staff. Yeah. So from the OR nurse, from the scrub tech and your surgery 
your name and the procedure you're having is yes. clear there on the board for everybody to see. It's on yes. the computer, it's on the board, physical whiteboard. So in a place that doesn't usually do it, if you could think of, we're actually not trying to stigmatize you, wow. further. we're trying to spare you from further judgment at every touch point. That's such a valuable perspective. So I really am grateful for that. I, like you said, it doesn't make it right, but no, really, really good for us to think about in that way. I just had a, um, I was just ha having like really heavy periods and some weird bleeding situation. And I just had a DNC basically. They just like, yeah, cleaned up my uterus. <laughs> And yeah. just like you said, I was looking at the board and it was like Kingsley, my procedure, which for anyone's it could have easily been an abortion. It looks like you said, the medical language is exactly the same. Um, and so I, I do remember being in thinking, oh, it's so interesting. Like this is, just, I can see how if I were having an actual abortion, I wouldn't want my name up there in the middle of the hall. It's it's like micro trauma each time yeah. and because, because as part of the um, actually compliance in a check system, they make you say, what is your name and why are you here? Yes. Like multiple times, yes. not totally. once. <laughs> they want to check your armband. They want to make sure that we're not screwing up surgically. So yeah. every checkpoint they're asking, what's your name? And why are you here? Yeah. And so imagine mm -hmm. someone, right. Who's already mm -hmm. not very happy about their decision, but feels like this is the right decision. Yeah. Having to regurgitate that every five minutes. Like you're like, don't you know already? Is it yeah. not obvious? Yeah. And people yeah. are asking the same questions. Hello. I mean, yeah. you know, so, so all, that's all I'm offering that consider. Yeah. You're going to a place where they're, this is what they do. And yeah. it's not a surprise. People all there working all know what they're there for. Yeah, they've chosen to be there to offer compassionate care. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So you're actually avoiding some judgment, yeah. uh, quite a bit, probably, I'm guessing. Um, yeah, interesting. And that is actually compassion. Interesting. Even though Ugh. it feels like pushing you to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So coming back to your coaching expertise, um, or piece, <laughs> you know, I say that as <laughs> if there's one expertise, but a piece of your expertise, let's say we have a listener who does work in a Planned Parenthood or, um, is a therapist who sees, who works with a lot of people who've had abortions I hesitate when I say that because I don't even know who those therapists are <laughs> anyone in um in the care providing arena um who is feeling burnout knowing they need self-care or the the tips are tips and tools are going to apply for anyone or yeah. a mother who's really burnt out or a, um, maybe a student who's really burnt out. And part of choosing abortion is self-care. It, it is self-preservation. It is self-compassion. Absolutely. Um, what are your, some, some of your favorite um, things to share 
about about self-care? So I think self-care is an interesting concept. Um, if you look at his messaging again, it targets mostly women. Like you know, it's so true, all right? Like my husband's never said the word self-care ever. Right. Like it's really <laughs> targeting women, which I find is very interesting. I'm yeah. all for it. But right. just sort of just be, I feel like, be curious about that. Why is that? Why is it targeted towards working women, especially? Yeah. I think there's a yeah. lot of that. And I think that self-care, there's a couple of things. Like one, if it's a messaging where it's like, it gets everybody else off the hook, you just do some self-care and you'll be better. Mm-hmm. Now I think that's BS, right? Because yes. that's not why we do self-care. So like you can let, so other people it's another thing to check off the list right or that yeah that oh you've done a weekend at the spa you should be good to go to do everything now okay so that's not really what i mean by self-care i'm actually against that kind of messaging um what i find for self-care is women find it hard to to do because they feel like it's another burden it's another task yeah it's something like oh now i have to do self-care because that's Mm -hmm. what people are telling me i should do to feel better And I get how that can feel, like I said, just one more thing you have to do. So I, I've been in that position, but I have sort of come across that. And so what I really like to ask myself, and I would hope your listener would, I consider the possibility is what is on the other side of Mm self-care? I practice self-care so that I don't lose myself in all the care that I provide to other people. Mm -hmm. Who am I? who am I? What do I need? Right. So I always focus. what's on the other side of self-care. Yeah. What's on the other side of self-care for me as a mother. I'm not just a mother. I'm so much more. What else do I have to give to the society? And in self-care, if we allow time and we allow these things happen, we can actually explore that versus like, Oh my God, I'm so busy. I can't even, I got to do this. I got to tell the kids to do homework. I got to go do that. But I understand all those things. If you could just take a quick pause and all it takes is 10 minutes in your car after the kids have left, right? Just a deep breath, just to contemplate the possibilities. Who am I? Like for me, I know I don't want to be just a mother, even though it's one of the greatest things and it's one of the biggest roles that I'm proud of, but I'm, I'm more than that. I can continue to give value into the society. And, um, it's also proved to me and society that I'm worthy, Mm. that my life is right. Cause I think after a certain point, we reach somewhere, we don't really think this on the forefront. Like we're just waiting to die, (laughs) right? There's some parts that we don't say it that way, but like, oh, I've done all that. Oh, it's okay. It's like, well, no, I can continue to give and I want to continue to give. Yeah. And one of the biggest things I come to realize, why do I do, why do I partake in daily self-care? It's an act of defiance of the patriarchy every day. <laughs> yes, so good. <laughs> every day is my defiance to the yeah. patriarchy. You want me to remain quiet. You want me to continue to do everything. Well, I'm not going to do everything because it's not necessary. If I want, if I choose to do it, of course, and I do it happily and I'm motivated and I want to, by all means, do it. But I'm not going to do it just because you expect me to do it. Mm. And so I remind myself of those things. Um, and it's an expression of my self-love and self-worth mm. to myself, but it's also to my kids. Mm-hmm. Can I just share with you one remarkable Please. thing that happened? So this year, 
I'm not, I can't even tell you my age because I'm so weird about that, but I'm pretty old. Um, I decided that I'm going <laughs> to play tennis, right? I was like, I'm going to learn how to play tennis. So it's every Monday at 7.30 at night, which is like prime homework time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's money, but I look for a cheaper rate because it's for the group. Plus, I mean, my God, I barely can hold a racket, right? So what do I need privates for? I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't care. I'll just do a group. So some moms, I know this because I have clients this way, will not spend that time because, oh my gosh, I really have to be at home for my kids for their homework to make sure things get done. Or, oh, it's, it's money that I rather would put somewhere else for my kids. My kids need it for their violin lesson. They need it for this. They need it for that. I'd rather, you know, that money goes to them. Yeah. But I decided, no, I'm going to take tennis lessons, just something I want to do. So this past week was my son. He's 15, a teenager. Okay. Let me just remind you. I said, hey, why don't we go to the tennis courts? And his sport is not tennis. His sport uh -huh. is basketball. Yeah. So why don't we go to tennis um, court and let's get one of those tennis ball launcher things and just keep hitting balls. He's like, all right. And as we were doing this and we we're finished, he kept getting balls for me to feed into the machine. I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. Plus I was getting tired. It's like, oh my God, please stop. But he was like, no, you go do it. And then bottom line was like, he was like, this was so much fun. He was mm. like, we should do this again. Mm. And so what I want to say is that in pursuing my own self-care and putting my desire first, I actually made a new meaningful connection with myself. Yeah. Mm. I didn't choose tennis. I didn't think about, oh, what can I do to, you know, waste bond with my teenager? No. Yeah. I was doing tennis for myself. In, in return, an incredible unexpected byproduct because mm. I have now built a bond with my son, mm. a new connection. And he even said, he's like, maybe I'll try playing tennis. Although he's already kind of athletic. So he like, he could hit the ball better than right. I anyways. Like that's not even the point, right? Yeah. yeah. But this whole talk about mom playing tennis and I laugh at myself, like I totally suck. I go, but I don't think I'm the worst person, but it's a whole conversation, right? Yeah. The kids get to see, mom is not dead <laughs> at yeah. age whatever. Yeah. Mom can learn new things. But what I really hope with that modeling is that they internalize that so that for themselves, they're allowed to ask for things for themselves as an adult, especially for my daughter, right? To yeah. model that, that there mm -hmm. is a balance. Of course, I love my family. And they know that they can count on me. But for that one hour, I'm going to go play tennis. And as a result of that, my both of my kids now want to go hang out with me and play with the tennis. I, in fact, we did it a second time because my son insisted <laughs> on it, you know, so, right. Yeah. So self-care is not selfish. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. there are unexpected, beautiful byproducts that you, that you could get. I'm not saying for every case, um, but for, I think moms out there who feel like it's selfish, like who feel like their time has to be devoted somehow to their children that they have to, in order to be a good mom, they have to be a martyr of some type. I'm just offering the possibility that that may not be true. And yeah. That, and that modeling alone is such a devotion to your children just to model that for them. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. the gift, right? Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. to sit there and nag them about their homework. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I wrote the words earlier, like transactional self-care, which is more like checking the boxes versus integrated self-care. And I love your story is such a good example of just like, I integrate this self-care into my life 
A, learning new things, B, getting out of the house, C, meeting new people, D, getting a little exercise, like just integrating. And then it integrated right into the family too. Like, yeah, just, just is a part of our life versus. And that takes, and and I have to say that does take practice, right? Because in the beginning, maybe all you're able to do is sit for 15 minutes in the closet. (laughs) Maybe it is to hang on child, let me finish my food before I get up to get you your second glass of milk, right? It can very much look just like that in the beginning, like sort of, wait a minute, I don't have to cook tonight. I could get carry out. Carry out is really an option and I can have my husband or whoever, spouse, someone, whatever, someone else pick it up or have it delivered, right? In the beginning, self-care can be very simple. It doesn't have to be this big thing. Oh, it's a weekend away with my friends. Right. Yeah. And if we just take those small steps, exactly what you said, it feels transactional in the beginning. But eventually, if you are good at that and you continue to practice that, it does become integrated into your life that you don't even think about it, really. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Awesome. Um, Let's say, do you have any different or specific, as we wrap up here, any different or specific thoughts for people who have recently experienced abortion care and are in that tender physical spiritual emotional place like what might um integrating some self-care for someone who has just experienced something tender yeah look like um i think i think what is difficult to do but if you can find it within yourself to love yourself yeah and to have Mm self-compassion to look at it as a friend just went through it how would you treat your friend with softness Mm -hmm. with gentleness with openness and warm hugs like that's all I can think of in a warm blanket right that maybe there were some words that were spoken to you on this journey that were not very positive maybe and if you didn't experience that, that's amazing. But then we speak those words to ourselves. But yeah. it doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter what they say to you. Mm-hmm. Again, we know this intellectually because you are the one who's living your life. You have your back. You've made decision. this decision, neither right nor wrong. There is no right or wrong. It's just a decision that you made in your best interest and you do, and you support it 100%, you have your own back. And that's what you think of every day. It's like, I know I made the best decision. I've got my own back. I support myself. And I love myself. I love myself enough to know that I did the best for myself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I love taking one of my favorite things about doing this work or any work is taking an opportunity like abortions to look and say, wow, I really don't offer myself a lot of compassion. I really don't offer myself a lot of care. I really do have a habit of beating myself up. I really do have a habit of getting stuck in replaying the what ifs and going, okay, that that was the experience that led me to change that. That was the experience where I started taking better care of myself, where I started yes. integrating self-compassion or self-love 
or tenderness with my own spirit. Yeah. Um, that it's a great, it's a great place to absolutely use and move forward and go like, yep. Yeah. In my case, like that sucked. Wouldn't didn't anticipate it, wouldn't really wish it on anyone. But what I've created because of it is absolutely. Yeah. I mean, think of the value provided into this world because of that experience. I mean, your work is so important. Yeah. Yeah. So any listeners um, who want to follow you, learn more about you? Well, first of all, you're just so fun to follow. So everyone should go follow you. (laughs) (laughs) But also to continue um, learning from you or maybe even working with you, where's the best place to do that? So I'm very active on Instagram, uh, coaching with Lee. So that's where you can follow me. I mean, I have a Facebook page, but I'm not really active. So if you go there, I w- probably won't be there. Um, yeah, I'm sure that's a page <laughs> as well. But really, the best is Instagram. Very responsive there. DM comments, anything like that. I'm very, um, I'm very much active there. And you can definitely, we can definitely find an opportunity to work together if that's what you would like. Um, just a, co- a side comment. I started Instagram reels, like, I don't know, six months ago. And has it really only been that long? Cause I feel like that's like what I know you for is your reels. <laughs> oh yeah. And like, now I'm like this, like, I call myself the real queen. Cause I love doing it. Yeah. And you're so good at reels. <laughs> so hilarious. I'm like, somebody's a real, I'm like, this has really helped me at all. Like, what am I? And then, but now it doesn't even matter. Now I'm just, well, that's a great example of how, even when you're doing something like growing a business and, you know, marketing who you are and what you believe, like part of self-care is having fun. And we forget that you've integrated play into how you share your message with the world. That is a perfect example of taking care of you while doing something for others. It's great. One it. last thing this morning, I was doing a meditation and they tell you to choose a word to anchor your day. And do you know yeah. what my word was? Play. Fun. Fun. Yes. Perfect. Ta-da. That's, so That's how we should end this, right? Play and fun. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I wasn't really sure where this conversation was go, but would go, but you offered like all kinds of good insights and I'm really just grateful to have it in the collection. I'm so happy to be here. I thank you for your invitation. I hope we get to speak again. This was great. Please. Super fun. Until next week. Thanks for listening. And as always, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice for.